guys today. Um, when Liz and I were planning our trip to Wilmington a couple of months ago, uh, we were really excited to come. And then we found out that Paul wasn't going to be preaching and we were really disappointed. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. That was a good one. Um, it's good to be with you guys, like Carl said. Uh, oh, sorry. Kindergarten through second grade. You guys are free to go. This is so much pressure. <laughs> okay. Like I said, it's good to be with you guys. Um, and as Carl said, uh, Liz and I have been in Vancouver for the past two years. I've been studying at Regent College, and, and I'm working on an MDiv, um, which is the degree to become a pastor. And, and particularly what I'm passionate about is, is seeing people come to know the Lord and his people um, as, as they enter into the church and as they enter into a relationship with God. And I want to do that through small group discipleship and assimilation, which is a kind of a weird word for welcome ministries. Um, and so it's been, it's been a real blessing for me to be able to study at Regent. Um, and it's been a blessing for, for us, particularly that you guys have supported us so well since we've been there. Um, so the first thing I, I want to say is thanks. Um, I thought I'd tell you a couple of things about Regent in general, uh, just to give you a picture of what life in seminary is like. Um, it's pretty hard, actually. Uh, I took a class last year called Suicide Greek, um, which is a year's worth of Greek crammed into seven weeks. So basically, you wake up about six o'clock in the morning, you study Greek for about an hour and a half, and then you go take a quiz. And then you have five hours of lectures, and then... You have some lunch, and then you study Greek until you fall asleep. And you do that for seven weeks straight. So uh, it's pretty rough. And there's a couple of classes that that's probably the hardest one I've ever taken. But, um, you know, one of the things about seminary is it should be hard. Um, it, it should actually be, be testing you to learn as much as you can so that you can, so that you, so that I can, I can speak well about the Lord and, and, uh, speak well to the Lord's people, and and so I'm really grateful for that opportunity, um, even though sometimes it's hard. And one of the one of the good things is, sometimes you're sitting in the library and you're reading a random book about Athanasius, and the Nicene Creed, and 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 in the middle of that you you can worship. And I never thought that I would worship the Lord academically, um, but it, it's been a real gift. And, and again, I just want to say thanks for, for your help and supporting me to be able to do that. Uh, well, Regent's fairly famous for some of its professors. You, you might have heard of, of, of a couple of them. J.I. Packer, Eugene Peterson, um, Bruce Walkey, Gordon Smith, Gordon Fee. Uh, these are folks that, that are, are fairly well-known in Christian circles. Um, and it's, it's been fun to study with some of them. But uh, I, I think the thing that I've really appreciated the most is that it's an international school. It's in Vancouver, Canada, which is far. Um, and uh, most of the students there are coming from places fairly far away. Uh, some of our friends come from, uh, from other continents. And it's pretty cool to see a picture of what the church looks like, the, the really big global church. Um, and it's been really helpful for, for us as we... Uh, in the coming year, prepare to come back to the southeastern United States uh, to be able to bring a little bit of of, of the global church back. Um, 
And that's been really fun for us to, to get to experience some of that. It's actually pretty hard to describe Regent. It's pretty hard to describe any of your experiences, of, of your stories. I, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this, but you try to tell your parents about a girl that you're dating or that you plan to marry or you plan to tell them about a, a school that you want to go to or this new town or this new job or whatever. And, and it's hard to summarize everything in, in one or two sentences. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a class, in a class on evangelism and discipleship. And the professor there was making kind of a similar analogy about the gospel. It's really hard to summarize in a couple of sentences. And you can say things that are true, uh, but it's hard to say the whole truth and really encapsulate who Jesus is and how good what he did is. Um, and so, so they're trying something different where, where this professor comes from. What they're doing is, is what they're calling the oral gospel. So uh, what they do is they teach people to remember one or two stories about Jesus, something that's profoundly true but simple to tell um, that you could say in a conversation in 10 seconds 30 seconds a minute um, that would spark further conversation Um, so for this professor his story was jesus calming the water stealing stilling the storm and and the thing that blew him away was that billions of water molecules would stop at the voice of jesus and and i thought today um what I would do is give you, give you my story, the one that I would tell if I was sitting on the bus with somebody or in a coffee shop. Um, and so my story is Jesus cleansing a leper. That's what, uh, it's what we read earlier. Um, I seem to remember when I first came to Christ Community uh, that we were, we were in the book of Mark. And we were there for several years. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, so we're going to br- briefly revisit the book of Mark. Um, Mark's the guy who tells the story quickly. The other, the, the, this story appears in, in Matthew and Luke as well. Um, but I, I like the way Mark does it because he tells the first, the first couple of chapters of Mark, he uses the word immediately over and over and over again. Immediately, Jesus did this and then this and this and this and this. And it's so fast. Um, and in this story, something different, uh, something a little bit different happens. Um, so immediate, just to give you a little bit of a background, uh, the first 39 or so verses is Jesus being tempted and then calling the first disciples and then the first miracles. He actually goes to Peter's house, uh, and heals his mother-in-law. And then all the people in the town start coming and crowding at the door and he's healing people all night long. And, um, and then it says he got up early in the morning he went out to a desolate place and he prayed and everybody was looking for him. And the disciples finally found him and they said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. This is it. This is the success story. We can set up Capernaum as a base of our ministry operation and you can do what you want to do. And Jesus says, nope, I'm going to go elsewhere um, and preach to the other cities because that's why I came. And so that's what leads us into this story. What you would expect Mark to say next is, Immediately, Jesus went to the next town and preached, and thousands of people came and and worshipped him. Or immediately, he went here and here and here. But instead, we get Jesus meeting one man. We get Jesus meeting this leper. Let me read verse 40 for us. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. 
What Mark does is he slows down the story and he he gives us three verbs about this leper. And and I know that doesn't sound super exciting. Three verbs, big deal. Biblical scholars get super excited about this kind of stuff. (laughs) Came, begged, and knelt. I think before we talk about these verbs, it would be helpful just to give you a little bit of a background about leprosy. And some of this might be familiar, and and that's okay. First of all, this is decidedly not what we think of as leprosy today, uh, what doctors would call Hansen's disease. That's where your fingers and digits kind of lose the nerve endings and they fall off. It's pretty, pretty painful stuff. Um, this, this would be uh, what's described in Leviticus 13. This would be a number of various skin conditions, such as a, a white spot with a little bit of ooze coming out of it, or uh, a big white spot with a, a lot of ooze coming out of it, or whatever. It's, it's, it's a lot of details. You can read it if you want to. The other thing that's important to know about leprosy is it's most, most of the time it doesn't actually kill you. Um, the, the biggest thing about leprosy is that they were afraid that it would spread. And so the remedy for leprosy is isolation. You would actually be removed. Everything you touched, everything you owned would be dirty and unclean. No one could touch it again. Um, Everything that you touch is unclean. Everyone who touches you, everything that you touch is unclean. And so this person, this man, this leper would walk around uh, knowing that everything he touched, that everywhere he went, Um, that everything that he accidentally came in contact with was dirty. Everywhere he went, people would look at him and say, you make things dirty. It's almost as if he was a living dead man, walking around hoping no one would notice him, hoping that one day he would just quietly die. The other thing that's important to know about leprosy is that It would actually take uh, eight days, the cleansing process, when you go to um, when you would go to the priest like Jesus talks about at the end. It would take eight days for for uh, for you to be pronounced clean through all of the different rituals that you would do. And my guess is that for most of you, this is some of some of this is probably not exactly new. But I think it makes a difference when when the facts of someone else's life. Uh, actually become your own. Um, for, for me, it's when, I, uh, when I'm new. So when I do new things, like speaking, uh, preaching, when I go somewhere new, like a new town like Vancouver, when I do new things, um, when I was a freshman in college, uh, like some of you guys are about to be or have just been, uh, I wrote a letter to my sister And in it, I said, people are really nice. They're really friendly. This was about a month after I had gotten there. And uh, they're really nice, but nobody touches me. I haven't, like, no one gives me a hug. No one gives me a high five. No one even gives me, uh, like, a pat on the back or anything. It's, It's like I'm walking around and no one touches me. And for a guy who likes physical touch, that's pretty hard. Um... And so for me, I can, I can understand how this leper feels. I can understand what it's like to be aware that no one wants to touch you or is even aware that touching you is a big deal. And so for me, it makes sense that he would come and that in coming, he would be begging to Jesus and that in begging, he would fall down on his knees. Um, 
I don't know if you've ever actually fallen on your knees because you were begging, but if you have, then you're profoundly aware of how helpless and vulnerable you are in that moment. And this is what the guy comes to Jesus like. And he says, if you will, the word there can be translated differently. If you want to, you could make me clean. If you want to, you could make me clean. And the next verse, Mark says, Jesus was moved with pity. The word pity there is is fine. That's a good translation. Um, The word actually comes from the same word for intestines, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, And and it means probably about what you think it means. It's a gut level, deep uh, longing, compassion for this man. It's the same word. Uh, that's used in, in, in the parable of the servant whose debt is forgiven. Um, he had compassion. The master had compassion on the servant. It's the same word that, that's used in Luke, 7, in Luke 7 when Jesus raises a widow's only son. Um, so this is, this is the word that kind of comes up when, when big things are happening. And some of you probably today, um, whether you look like it or not, have big things happening in your life. And that's okay. Um, You can come to Jesus with those big things. And when Jesus has compassion on the man, he does something particularly unique. He reaches out his hand and he touches the man and he says, I want to be clean. He touches the man. The man who previously, every time someone touched him, They were dirty. The man who everything he touched was ruined and fell apart. Someone touches him and he's clean. I think that's profound. And I think for some of us, that's what we need to hear for ourselves. That that we are not eternally destined to screw things up. We are not eternally destined to break things and to make things ruined. Someone can actually touch us and make us clean. And I hope if that's you, that you hear that Jesus wants to. Jesus has compassion. He says, I want to touch you. I want to heal you. Be clean. Well, I think there's actually two temptations when we, uh, when we interpret gospel stories. Uh, the first one, the first one is, is that Uh, we would read it as if it were written only and exclusively to us, that it was just an allegory, that that the the story of the leper uh, isn't really about a leper, and it's not even really exactly about Jesus. It's about us and our stories. And so everything kind of becomes an analogy of our circumstances. Uh, That's the first temptation. And I think the second temptation is that we think it has nothing to do with us, that it's this person a long time ago... um, that we can't relate to that doesn't impact our lives and the truth is neither of those are true this is a real jesus who touched a real leper because he had compassion and it's the same jesus who is who who was incarnate who lived who died who was resurrected and who ascended that's the jesus that we worship a real jesus But that's actually not the end of the story. It would be great if the story ended there. And in Luke's gospel, it actually does. Um, 
But Mark gives us a little bit more detail. He says, um, actually, let me just read it for you. This is verse 44. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. I think this is a question that kind of stumps um, that stumps biblical scholars. There's a lot of debate. Why would Jesus say don't tell? Why would why would Jesus say don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest? There's 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 a, a lot of different answers out there, a lot of different possibilities, and and, and um, some of them are pretty good, and some of them are are, are not so good. Um, the one that I th- I think best summarizes it. Um, is is that Jesus said things like this when it didn't fit the plan? And so for Jesus, um, this like a, another example would be when when Jesus says, "Mother, my time has not yet come," right before he does his first miracle. Um, but Jesus doesn't always say, "Don't tell anybody." When he heals the the, the man that's possessed by demons, you guys remember the story. He heals the man, and he casts all the demons into the pigs, and they run off the cliff, and it's terrible, and bacon prices go sky high. Um, when he does that, everybody in the town says, "Go away! Don't come back! We don't want you here anymore." And the guy who he healed, who who he cast out the demons, comes up to him and says, "Please, please, let me come with you." And Jesus says, "Nope." What I want you to do is go home, tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. And so sometimes Jesus actually says, I want you to tell. I want you to say everything. Um, And for us, as we read these stories, I think that's what Jesus actually says. I want you to say, I want you to tell people how much the Lord has done for you. Um, But in this particular instance, because it's a place that Jesus intended to spend a lot of time um, and not a place that he only visited once, uh, I, I think he says, don't tell because it messes up the plan. Before this passage, Jesus heals people in Capernaum at Peter's house and, and, and they swamp the house. It's a, it's a madhouse um, and he's healing people all night long. And, and right after this passage, it says uh, after after a, a, some number of days, after a long time, Jesus returned and he went to his house. So Jesus probably lived in Capernaum. And while he was there, people again swarmed his house so much so that a couple of guys actually went in and tore a hole in his roof to drop somebody in so that he could be healed. And I've always read that story as as a, as, as a group of guys who really loved their friend and trusted that Jesus would heal him. But after I read it in the context of this, I thought, oh, man, Jesus, it's a good thing he was a carpenter. Oh, OK, that was OK. So in the places where Jesus plans to spend time, um, something different happens. Uh, I, I said earlier that it would take up to eight days to, to do the ritual cleansing. And some scholars think that actually what Jesus wanted the guy to do was to take that full eight days so that he would have time to do what he wanted to do in Capernaum and get out and go to the next town. Um, and then I think that's probably a pretty good, a pretty good idea. Um, but instead, what happens is Jesus... Um, What happens is that Jesus heals this man and, and people begin to hear about it. He, he starts to tell so many people what's happening um, that Jesus, Jesus can't go anywhere. Well, I think the plan for Jesus was that he would go to the next towns like it says in verse 38. 
But when this guy changed the plan, Jesus wasn't overwhelmed. And I think that's significant for us. Because I think oftentimes what we do doesn't fit with what God wanted. It doesn't mean that God is overwhelmed. It doesn't mean that we have somehow messed everything up. It simply means that we, we did something and, and, and now God is doing something in response. Um, and he doesn't, he's not overwhelmed by that. Finally, one more thing that I, I want to draw your attention to is when Jesus heals this man, he actually takes on his isolation. Let me read this for you. This is verse 45. He went out and began to speak. This is the leper. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. The man who previously lived on the fringes of society, um, who no one wanted to see, who no one wanted to touch, who everything he did created ruin and chaos. Jesus traded places with him. He took on the position of an outsider in isolation in the desolate places. And was this exactly what Jesus' plan was? Well, no, not exactly. Um, But it didn't surprise Jesus either. When Jesus looked on the man with gut-level compassion and he reached out his hand and touched him, he said, I want to. And I think for some of us, we, we need to hear that. That we are, we are essentially coming to Jesus with nothing. He reaches out his hand and he says, I want to heal you. I want to know you. I want to make you clean. And then he touches us. He's taken our place. And then we can re-enter society. The, the leper runs around and tells everybody he didn't do that in the desert. He did that in the city. I think it's significant for us um, that Jesus would do this, that, that, that this is who Jesus is all the way down. And, and, and this, doesn't exactly tell, this doesn't tell us what Jesus does to every single leper. It tells us what he did with one particular leper. But what Jesus did in this particular story, isn't different than who Jesus is, who he reveals himself to be. And so when Jesus reaches out and has compassion, we can trust that he would do the same thing to us. So this is the story that I would tell. This is the the story that I would quickly share with my friends, quickly share with uh, cashiers or someone sitting on the bus with me. Um, I would encourage you guys, if you like this story, if if this grabs your attention, that you begin to learn how to tell it, begin how to craft your story. If it doesn't, that's okay. There's, there's plenty of good stories. This is a great story about Jesus, but there's so much more that can be said. I would encourage you to find one that makes sense to you, that you can retell, um, because it starts a conversation about Jesus. And that's really what we want to do. We want people to know the Lord. Um, one of the things that I often pray for is, is that I would be able to speak the truth, Um, Because when I speak the truth to God, it's worship. When I speak the truth to other people, it's evangelism. And what we want to do is we want to make the truth of Jesus known everywhere we go because that's the best thing that we can possibly do. So with that, I I want to pray for you. I um, I want to ask 
that the Lord would give you something true about himself that you can share with other people. Pray with me. Lord, we say thanks that you're good and that you love us. Um, We say thanks for the words that we sang earlier, that your name is great and that your heart is kind. Lord, we pray that you would make yourself known more and more in us and through us. Thanks for what you're doing here in Christ's community. We pray that you would multiply the work of your hands here. In your name, amen.